wow, this is a profound prayer. Do we really know what we're saying to the God of the universe? Fall like fire, soak like rain. A flow like mighty water again and again. Sweep away the darkness, burn away the chaff, and let the flame burn to glorify your name. And so I just pray right now that um, that that is the, our prayer individually and that that's our prayer corporately. That, that we're not just singing these words because it's a song we're singing, but that we're genuinely asking God, the creator and redeemer of all things, to employ everything at his resources to cleanse, to refine, and to make my life and your life a a fire for the glory of his name and his kingdom. I just want to stop and let us sit on those words for a minute, and then I'll turn toward preaching. Jesus, you are supremely worthy of all of the love, the honor, and the obedience that we can give you. Lord, would you do these things even now through your word as it is read and preached and we hear it and we respond to it. So come Holy Spirit and bring glory to God. In the name of Jesus, amen. Um, You can turn to Acts 8, but I'm not going to start there. I I just sense the Lord is doing something or would have me start in a bit of a different place than I was thinking. Um, Partially because of the prayers that were just prayed. I've, it got my attention when Vic read John 14, 1 to 4, because strangely enough, that was the text that I read this morning and felt the Lord prompt me to study or look up the Greek behind two words uh, when the Lord said, when Jesus said to his disciples, um, you trust in God, trust also in me in my father's house. There are many rooms. I wanted to know what was the word for house and what was the word for rooms? What is Jesus getting at here? Because we know that there's not a building in heaven that's waiting for us. So what did he mean? And as I looked up those words, um, they're really similar to each other and actually have a cl- real close meanings. What, what they mean is um, abode or place of dwelling. So in my father's abode, where my father is, in the place where he dwells, there are many places for dwelling. In other words, there's enough room for each of you with my father 
and where he is, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And they say, what do the disciples say? Well, we don't know where he is. Show us the Father. And Jesus goes on and talks to him about that. But actually, the beginning of John tells us where Jesus came from. John 1.18, it says, No one has seen the only begotten Son, but he came from the bosom of the Father. The bosom is an old word that means heart. That the Son comes from the heart of the Father. And so when he says, I'm returning to where I've come from. He says, I'm going back to the heart of the Father with whom I'm one. That's the abode I'm going back to. And I've got a place in the Father's heart for you. And I think that's what God wants to talk to us about this morning. The place in his heart that we have, but that everyone else has. And so our role in sharing that place in his heart. We're going to talk about evangelism, which is just sharing the love that God has for us and for other people. We're going to talk about evangelism that might be different from maybe the way you've heard about it or learned about it, or maybe even been trained by it in the trained to do evangelism in the past. Maybe some of you have been trained with approaches where you memorize certain passages of scripture or certain sets of scriptures, or you've got a program or approach that's employed. That's not what we're going to look at this morning. We're going to look at uh, evangelism that's led by the great evangelist, God the Holy Spirit, and human cooperation. So would you turn with me to Acts chapter 8? I think we're starting at verse 26. 1704 is the page number. So just to set the context, uh, we've been in Samaria, which is outside Jerusalem and Judea, and um, the gospel's been being shared with the Samaritans who were considered half-breeds, half-breed Jews that were way beyond the scope of of, uh, the Jews thinking that they were going to receive salvation. And um, God's, God's brought them into the kingdom. And he's brought him in through Philip, and then the apostles came from Jerusalem, and the apostles have already left. So Philip's still there, and this is where we pick up. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road, that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out, and on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship and on his way home was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you're reading? Philip asked. How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. The eunuch was reading this passage of scripture. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before the shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. 
in his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, Tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, Look, here's water. Why shouldn't I be baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared at Azotus and traveled about preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea, the word of the Lord. I want to start by sharing a story with you that uh, I read, and some of you will undoubtedly have read already, because this book, Draw the Circle, the 40-Day Prayer Challenge, has been handed out to many of us in conjunction with the City Fest movement that um, is drawing churches together in unity to pray ahead of the Palau conference that's coming in September. And uh, Anne got to read it first, so I'm getting to read it now. She passed it to me. And uh, I don't know why, but I started at the back. And I, I read this story that I want to share with you because I believe it uh, ties into our text. So Mark Batterson says, A few years ago I heard author Ken Gobb share one of the most amazing prayer testimonies I've ever heard. He and his family were driving on I-75 near Dayton, Ohio, when they decided to stop at a restaurant. Ken's wife and children went right into the restaurant while he stretched his legs. As he walked past a nearby gas station, he heard a payphone ringing. The phone kept ringing, and Ken thought it might be some sort of emergency, so he answered it. He heard the voice of an operator who said, Long distance for Ken Gobb. Ken almost passed out. He said, You've got to be kidding me. I was just walking in the middle of nowhere, and I heard this phone ringing. The confused operator said, Is Ken Gobb there? After making sure there weren't any candid cameras, he said, This is Ken Gobb. A voice on the other side of the line said, Mr. Gobb, my name is Millie. I'm from Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. You don't know me, but I need your help. She went on to explain that she'd just written a suicide note, but had decided to give prayer one more shot. She said, God, I don't really want to do this. And as she prayed, she remembered seeing Ken Gobb on television. She thought to herself, if I could just talk with him, he could help me. But this was pre-Google, making it extremely difficult to track him down. As she prayed, some numbers popped into her head, and she wrote them on a piece of paper. She couldn't help but think, wouldn't it be wonderful if God were giving me Ken's number? Then Millie said, I decided to try calling the number, and I couldn't believe it when the operator said it was you. Millie asked Ken, are you in your office? When Ken said no, Millie sounded surprised. She said, then where are you? Well, Ken said, you, you made the call, don't you know? 
She said, I don't even know what area I'm calling. I just dialed a number on a piece of paper. Ken said, you won't believe this. I'm in a phone booth in Dayton, Ohio. Millie replied, what are you doing there? Ken said, answering a pay phone. Ken went on to draw this conclusion. I walked away from that phone booth with an electrifying sense of our Heavenly Father's concern for each of his children. What were the astronomical odds of this happening with all the millions of phones and innumerable combinations of numbers only an all-knowing God could have caused that woman to dial that number in that phone booth at that moment in time? When Ken hung up the phone, he walked over to the restaurant and sat down with his family. Still stunned, he said to his wife, Barb, you won't believe this. God knows where I am. We laugh, and yet there's something so beautiful in this story because this is God's heart of love for one person that's the exact same for every person. There's nobody on this earth that God doesn't love as much as that woman. There's nobody on this earth that God doesn't want to communicate his love to as much as that woman. God is the great evangelist. It's the heart of God, the Father, that sends the Son, pours out His life, ascends and sends the Spirit on the same mission as the Father and the Son to bring that love. And so when somebody starts crying out after they write a suicide note and they say, I'm giving prayer one more shot. I'm calling on that God. If there's a God, if you're real, help. He goes to answer. And what's so interesting, and I think so important for us to notice and begin with this morning, is that he answers through a person. That there's there's divine human cooperation that's happening in the story, but also in this text. So let's turn to the Ethiopian for a minute because he's no different than this woman. He's a man who's so hungry for God, who so wants to know if there's a real God that he's traveled by chariot from Africa to Jerusalem. This is no small distance. This is hundreds of miles. This man wants to know if there's a God. He's a God seeker. And he's heard... There's this people in Jerusalem that claim to to worship the true and living God who's the creator of all things. They don't have just a God of the sun or the moon or the stars or this land or that place. They claim that there's a God who made everything and they know him. And so he goes to Jerusalem to worship him. And somehow or another, he makes it out of Jerusalem without fully coming to know him. God's revealed himself in Jesus, but there's over a million people in that city and only several thousand of them know Jesus at this point. And he's on his way back, this man who's hungry for God. And he hasn't found him yet. And he hasn't been found by him yet. And so God's going to call somebody else into the dance. God's going to call Philip. And so he says, Philip, go south down the road that leads toward Gaza. And the word says that he does that through an angel 
You know, there's different kinds of angel appearances in Scripture. There's angel appearances where the angel appears and we read, and -and so-and-so fell flat on their face. And -and so-and-so was filled with awe and tremored. We don't read that here. Hebrews tells us in chapter 13, don't forget to keep entertaining strangers because in so doing, some of you have entertained angels without knowing it. In God's providence, angels can take human form. And I just wonder if, because the text doesn't mention it here, Philip happens to have someone come up to him and deliver a message. Go south down the road toward Gaza. Now let's just imagine for a moment that that's the way it happened. All of a sudden, it's not so clear as it might have seemed to have been. Why? Well, first of all, Philip's in the middle of revival. Let's back up. God's moving powerfully. The the sick are getting healed. The lame are getting healed. Evil spirits are being driven out. People are coming to Christ. Simon came to Christ. There's a mass movement to Christ. Who's leading? Philip's leading. Do we know of any other leadership there? No. The apostles already left. So he's leading. And then in the middle of this revival atmosphere, God's moving powerfully. All of a sudden, there's this message. Go here. Leave. Leave the revival. Leave the work of God that's in progress and leave the city and go down out of town. And he's got to discern, is this God's guidance? And he discerns it. And he obeys it. And... um This is really important for us. When we're following God, there are incremental steps of faith and obedience. Hardly ever do we get the full picture all at once. And so all the guidance that he gets, listen, we know the story. He doesn't know the story. He doesn't know what God's up to. He doesn't know where he's going. He doesn't know who he's going to talk to. He doesn't have anything except get on a road and walk. He doesn't tell him how far. How should I pack? What am I taking? (laughs) Nothing. Just get on the road and walk. Let's just stop there for a minute and camp. Can we obey with that kind of surrender? I got plans on Saturday. Well, he had plans for revival. What if God says something else? And what if all the guidance you get is go somewhere? So Philip goes. And in the going, he's given another piece of guidance. The Bible says, The Spirit said to Philip, Go over to that chariot and stand by it. Now listen, it always sounds clearer in hindsight. And this story was written in hindsight. In hindsight, after all this happened... Philip could say the spirit or Luke could say talking to Philip, the spirit said to Philip. But what did it really sound like? We all know it's not usually the audible voice of God. Usually it's a little prompt, a little sense, a little something. A couple of years ago, I was having breakfast with one of you at the West Sider on a Thursday morning. And I finished breakfast, and usually I work from home in the morning, and so it was time to go home. I was set to go back home, and I was walking out to my car, and the Spirit said, I can say that now, right? 
go to church. Well, I don't have anything planned at church. But I had a prompt, come to church. I showed up at church, went down to the basement, and there's Vic. And he says, oh, I'm so glad you're here. Here's my sister, Lori. She had this crazy dream last night. Can she tell you about it? Lori starts telling me about her dream. I start asking her some questions. As I listen to her dream, I can hear she's seeking the Lord, and the Lord's seeking her. So we shift away from the dream for a minute, and I share the gospel with Lori, and today's the day. And she comes into the kingdom of God. And and so then I tell her, well, Lori, Jesus promises that he'll give his Holy Spirit to everyone who follows him. And so we're going to pray for you right now. You just prayed for Jesus to be the Lord of your life. We're going to pray for you to receive his Holy Spirit. So we put our hands on her, and we said, Lord, you promised your spirit. Would you now fill, come and fill Lori? And all of a sudden, our hands are on her shoulders. All of a sudden, out goes her arms. Some of you have heard this before. And we're watching on, and she's having a vision. She's seeing Jesus right in front of us. She didn't tell us us till later. But he comes to her, and then he, in, in her vision, he comes into her. Just comes right in. And we're all standing on holy ground watching this, right? Now for me, that started with an incremental step of obedience. And it wasn't really clear or loud. It was just a prompt. Go to church. Go to church. Because the evangelist, the great evangelist, is always looking. His eyes are roaming the earth. His heart is longing for children to come home. He's looking. He's listening. He's calling. And whenever someone calls on him, he's there. But he's calling us in. He's calling us in. And are we listening? And so Philip's listening. Philip's listening and he listens to the prompt to go down the road and he listens to prompt to go to the chariot. And then he hears the words of the prophet Isaiah and Philip turns and he says, now what, Lord? No, he doesn't need any more guidance. I just think that's important to notice that he doesn't turn and ask God what to do because he knows he's on assignment. He knows I belong to Jesus. Jesus loves. Jesus wants everyone to know the love of the Father. He's searching and calling. If I hear someone seeking, I know my role and I step in. It's not somebody else. It's me. I got called here. So I step in. And what's really beautiful to notice is that Philip doesn't, doesn't hear this text of scripture and then say, well, let me teach you the Romans road. You know, let me actually Romans didn't exist at this time, but <laughs> neither did the rest of the New Testament. But, but Philip doesn't have some pre, pre, pre-programmed response. He starts where the man is. Luke says, From that passage of scripture, he shared the gospel. This is what the Holy Spirit wants us to do. Pay attention to where people are. Listen to them. Listen to their hearts. Listen to their questions. Listen to their prayers. Listen to what they're wrestling with. And from that place, share Jesus. Share the good news about Jesus. And so Philip shares, and the double, I think double fruit of Philip following and being a vessel of the great evangelist is this. One, gospel goes to Africa. 
Philip has no idea that in his simple, small steps of obedience, he is going to be used to bring the gospel to an entire continent or to set foot on that continent. And we actually, we know today that the Ethiopian church is one of the longest continually surviving and thriving churches in church history. One little or several little steps of obedience and he's used to bring the gospel to a continent. But there's something else that happens, I believe, that produces some really, really sweet fruit. Philip gets lifted up by the Holy Spirit and transported, moved, brought, dropped down 30 miles away. That's pretty incredible. Not not for God. It's nothing for him, but for us. Uh, <laughs> that's pretty incredible. Now, Philip wasn't seeking this, but in obedience to the Lord, it came and it happened and he experienced it. And he experienced it as real. And I, I just wish I was a fly on the wall when he got dropped down and went, now, where am I? <laughs> what just happened? Right. But can you, let's just, let's just remember again what the Bible says about James or about Elijah in the book of James. It says he's an ordinary man, ordinary person, just like the rest of us. We have an ability to take these biblical characters that get used by God and just kind of blow them up into superhuman size. Philip is like you and you and you and you and me and you. And in his simple steps of obedience, something that he wasn't seeking happened to him along the way. But don't you think that built his faith? Don't you think he was a different man, a, ch- a changed man in some way after getting transported by God? Don't you think he had a little bit more faith in God's supernatural ability and activities? Don't you think the next time the Holy Spirit prompted him, he was going to step out with a little bit more bold faith? The text doesn't tell us how hard it was for him to follow. It doesn't give us the inner life of his heart. It doesn't give us the wrestlings. But we know he's human and we know what we experience when we think God's prompting. We know the wrestlings. Don't you think that the next time he was a little bit more yielded and ready and full of faith? You see, our life with God is not static. It's dynamic. It grows. And we get actually are responsible for our part or our share in building our life with God. Faith can grow in us. And we have these experiences that we aren't necessarily seeking, but happen as we're actively obeying that build our faith. So Scott, where's Scott? Right there. Scott gave me permission to share this this morning. Uh, You know, we all have just prayed with him through just a tremendous amount of difficulty. But one of those pieces of difficulty is Ginny leaving with their three kids. It's been super painful. And that process of her leaving has been sort of an on and off, like, is she going to stay? Is she going to go? And a couple years ago, approximately, but about three, we were in a, just, it was just a really painful spot and, um, looked like she was going to leave with the kids and, um, we're just praying that she would stay, that she would make righteous decisions, that she would come to know the Lord. He'd bring healing to her. And so, we're, we're, you know, this is happening over days. And one morning, Friday morning, um, 630, I'm doing my devotions and I'm, I read the, the, the Jesus say, if you've got faith 
like a mustard seed, you can say to the mountain, be thrown into the heart of the sea. Yeah, I read that a lot of times. But that moment, the Holy Spirit took that scripture and just said, put it in my heart, and it burned. And the Spirit said, you've got that faith, use it. And I said, I do. I've got faith at least as big as a mustard seed. And so I started praying boldly over Jenny, who had departed early that morning. And I I spoke over her and I said, I forbid in the spirit, I forbid you to leave the state of mission. I'm not trying to control her. So I got to be really clear how I, ah, let me, let me, I have to tease this out. Control. Remember we talked last week, control is part of the kingdom of darkness and witchcraft. We don't control people, but we can pray strongly uh, for them to make righteous decisions and for God to work and move. And we can bind the work of Satan in their lives. So I don't remember the exact words, but I'm just telling you, I was praying with God's spirit and I, and I prayed that she would not be able to cross the state line of Michigan, that she would be bound um, from leaving and forced to return. Three hours later, we're sitting in a meeting in our office and a text came through that said her car broke down on the state line of Michigan. It was being repaired and she was returning home. Okay, here's the thing. Again, it's an, a faith-building experience, not seeking experience, but praying, working with the Lord, with the Holy Spirit. Something happens, your faith get built, gets built. So I pray differently after that. I, I have grown in an awareness of the authority the Lord gives us to see his kingdom come and his will be done on earth and in our lives and in this neighborhood as it is in heaven. My prayers have changed. My life with God has changed because of an experience included, that included the leading and the provision of the Holy Spirit. God, the great evangelist, has got dozens, hundreds, thousands waiting and wanting to hear us pick up the payphone, us follow the prompt, us, you name it. What's required on our part? No, not yawning. Hunger, love, love for the lost. Love moves us to pray. I, I can't say it because the text doesn't say it, but I think Philip was praying. When you pray, things happen. When you ask God to lead you into relationships with neighbors who don't know him, when you perceive people around you, that are, that are hurting and are broken, that need healing, that need Jesus, and you ignore that need, you grow colder and callous to it, and you don't think you have a role in meeting the need. When you take them into your heart, anytime something's in your heart, if your coworkers are in your heart, then that gives the Spirit of God within you the room to move you to pray. And as you pray, God begins to work, and it turns back around into an invitation for you. So hunger or holding the lost in our hearts, prayer, and a, just a willingness to hear and obey the prompts of the Holy Spirit. So I'm going to stop here.
And I'm going to ask you to make the application of this sermon. I would like you to name collectively how are we going to how are we going to respond to this word from God the great evangelist who calls us to listen and obey and work with him to bring people like this what was her name Millie and like the Ethiopian eunuch to Jesus How are we going to respond could be lots of different ways or answers, but I want to hear them coming out from you. Dane. Well, I've heard of a book. I don't remember the author. I just heard it described. It's called The Ten Second Rule. And it's uh, spoken of that we need to respond within the first ten seconds when we feel the Holy Spirit prompting. Because if we don't respond right away, our tendency is to say, I didn't hear correctly, or, ah, was that from God? I'm just going to let it go. So I think it's responding. So a commitment to immediate action. action. Immediate action. Yep. Mm-hmm. Good. Good. Commitment to immediate action. What else? Evan. Yeah, rebuke, doubt, and fear. And not let them control you or not let them direct your your actions or your speech. So an awareness, just being aware of, how, of what we're being led by. So grow in discernment, Teo is saying. Like, what, where are my thoughts coming from? Who's, whose voice is it? What am I hearing? To find another person or another group or another event, some place that you can step out and go with people and practice listening to the Holy Spirit. And yeah. Find, Caroline's saying, find places where you can practice listening and obeying. And I would even add, find places where you can be in relationships with um, unbelievers. When I was in seminary, I didn't know any unbelievers because I had moved here from Canada and my whole life was study. And I had to pray, God, help help me, like, just meet people, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Yes, it is. What else? Anyone else? Anne? Tim? So create space. Yeah, good. So create space for sharing stories and testimony of how God's working so that we can grow and build each other up in faith. Yeah. Anyone else want to add something before we close? Heather. Heather. 
Yeah. Yeah, it's just asking God to give us the eyes to see them, like really see them. And because uh, sometimes we can just kind of blaze by people and not notice them, right? But really see them. Yeah. And you're going to say. Provision always comes as we step out in obedience. And I've really had to learn to deal with looking foolish. Um, and, and personally, I think every one of us has to deal with this at some point, but do I care more about being right and looking good or do I care about like communicating love and, and care and the gospel to someone? It's an ongoing struggle, I think. Ask for manifest, love, love to be present, yeah. Yeah, good. Pastor Dave. Yeah. Um, I'm just thinking that maybe next Sunday that we could have a little space in the service that if anybody has taken a step of faith or did sense of prompting, that we'd create a little space for a couple of those stories to be shared. So. Sounds great. Let's do that. All right, let's pray. Father, thank you for the freedom that we have in Christ Jesus. And thank you for the joy that we have in Christ Jesus, the joy of salvation. And I pray that more and more freedom and joy would find us working and cooperating with you, obeying, stepping out, touching others with your love. Pray that that river of your love that we're just con continuing to pray would flow out of this church, would also just flow out of each of our lives. And Lord, we ask that this week you give us new eyesight and new hearing to see and to hear who around us needs you and your love. And maybe it's just a step or just a seed. Maybe it's just planting something. But we're confident of you wanting to connect your love with hungry, hurting, lost people and you calling us into that gap. And so we just pray again, use us, O oh Lord, for your glory. Amen.